Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Kusada Baptist Church. We want to be a lighthouse to guide you on your journey through life. Well, it's good to be back. It's good to see so many familiar faces, and y'all the same, so that's good, right? Uh, today I want to share with you from Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there, Exodus chapter 3. If you don't, the words will be on the screen behind me when I get going. Uh, before we get that, I just want to tell you, uh, a couple months ago I saw this Twitter poll. It's posted by a guy named Tom Rayner, who used to be uh, the president of Lifeway, and now he serves kind of like a church consultant. And he was asking pastors and church leaders, what is the strangest excuse you've ever received from a church member about not coming to church? And so a few weeks after that, he uh, wrote an article about these strange excuses. And so I want to share some that stood out to me. Uh, Some of them were kind of hilarious. The first one that stood out to me was this, is we were out of peanut butter. Now, I love peanut butter, so that could constitute a a minor emergency in my eyes as well. So maybe you miss church because it's peanut butter. Another one was this, both of my girlfriends attend church there. That's kind of funny. Sometimes I wish I had that problem, right? This one is for Brother Daryl. Uh, this guy says, the worship leader pulls up his pants too often. It's distracting. So I guess this guy needs to invest in a belt or some suspenders or something. <laughs> That's right. Another one was, my kids take naps during that time. I think about that, for some of you, church is the best nap of your week, right? Uh, Fifth, my wife cooked breakfast, uh, bacon for breakfast, and our entire family smelled like bacon. So this is a hot take, but I don't really like bacon, so I can kind of see that, right? You don't want to smell like bacon. Uh, Last one, the pastor stays in the Bible too much. Who does that pastor think he is preaching from the Bible? So today we're going to look at the book of Exodus, and in this passage you're going to see that God calls a guy named Moses to do something. And Moses gives God excuses on why he can't. So it makes me think, like, often we're filled with excuses on why we won't or why we can't or why we don't. So maybe some of these excuses will resonate with you. So let's pick up verse 7, chapter 3. It says this, Then the Lord said, I observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that to land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skipping on, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here we see in this passage that God speaks to Moses, and he tells Moses about what he wants him to do. He expresses his desire to save his people, the Hebrews, out of slavery in Egypt. He tells Moses, hey, I see their suffering, I hear their cries, and now I want to rescue them. I want to bring them to a good land. The Bible says a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he tells Moses, hey, you're the plan." My plan to deliver them is it, is you. I am sending you. Moses was called to go to Egypt and lead these people to the promised land. Now, if you think about it, God could have chosen anyone at any time. Yet he chooses Moses at this exact time. God had a purpose for his life. And like Moses, he has a purpose for our lives. That's the first point I want you to see this morning, 
is that he has a purpose for our lives. And while it's true that God doesn't need us, the amazing thing is that he chooses to use us. So church, God has a purpose. He has a call for you. For your days, for your years, he has a call for your life. And he could have chosen anyone, but he has chosen you to accomplish his will. The problem is, is that many of us don't desire to live for that purpose. So there's a theologian, a philosopher in the 1600s, and his name was Blaise Pascal. And he wrote this. He said, Man's sensitivity to little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are marks of a strange disorder. Let me read that again. Man's sensitivity to little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are marks of a strange disorder. What he's saying is we focus on the trivial, on the temporal, all the time, and we never really give thought to the eternal, godly things. How true is that quote 500 years later? You see, we cultivate hobbies, we follow celebrities and athletes, we read the news without ever really knowing why we exist. We stumble through this unthinkably vast universe, we'll circumvent by these unthinkably intricate wonders, and we never stop to consider, like, who made all of this? We develop these opinions about politics, about sports, and we don't really care if our souls live forever and, and where. We look often into our mirrors, and we look seldom into our deep and fallen hearts. It's a strange disorder indeed. We get so caught up on our day-to-day lives that we seldom think about our ultimate purpose. But this morning, let's realize that God has a purpose for our lives. And as you live, the question is not if he has a purpose for your life. The question is if you're going to obey that call on your life. So back to the story, Moses hears this and he's justifiably unsure about this. And so he makes five excuses for not obeying God's call for his life. And just like Moses, we're often filled with excuses. So let's see if you can relate to any of these. Let's look at the first one, verse 11. But Moses asked God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, and you will all worship God at this mountain. So Moses hears God's call on his life. He knows God's plan, and he asks God, Who am I? Now, I like that question. Moses is thinking, like, what's going on? Like, can I do this? It probably sounded more like, God, do you know who I am? Do you remember what I've done? Have you seen my resume? My passage is too much. I'm not adequate. So his first excuse, I am inadequate. And to be honest... We look at Moses' life up to this encounter, and he has a point. Many are familiar with the story of Moses, right? You, you've heard stories about his life since elementary Sunday school. And think about it. Right? He was a Hebrew that survived this mass murder when he was placed in the Nile River by his mom. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and so he grew up. He was educated in Egyptian society, but he was a Hebrew. One day as an adult, he sees this Hebrew being mistreated, and he gets angry. And so he kills the Egyptian, and then he runs away. And so for the last 40 years, he's been hiding in this wilderness, taking care of sheep. And while he used to be a prince, he's a lowly shepherd now. He's not lived up to his education. He's not lived up to his potential. He has failed over and over again. 
He's made foolish choice after foolish choice, and he is now asked to go to the most powerful person in the universe and tell him to let his slaves go free. Moses is hearing this, and I'm sure he's calculating in his mind, and he's, he's going, God, you have the wrong guy. Do you ever feel the same? Do you ever think, God, look at my past. Look who I've been. Look what I've done. I'm inadequate. And we see God answer his excuse in a stunning way. God tells Moses, I will be with you. The answer to the question of who am I is answered by God like this, but I will be with you. Church, God is among us. He's with us. In fact, God, or Jesus is called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. One of my bucket list items in my life, my life goals is to visit every major league ballpark and see a game in every one. And so uh, the past couple years, I've been on that quest to do that. And last summer, uh, we took our first leg. It was up the East Coast. We went up to like eight ballparks in 10 days. And so one of the cities we stopped through was Washington, D.C., and in every city, we like to do a little tourist things to kind of see the city and do some fun things there. And so in D.C., like, obviously, what are you going to do? You're going to see the monuments, the memorials. And so uh, that morning, we parked our car, and, and we parked beside the Capitol. And I told the guy I was with, I was like, I've always wanted to see the Capitol. I've always wanted to take a tour of that. But at the time, it was closed. COVID was going on, and so, so no visitors allowed. And so I said, well, maybe we'll have to do it next time. So we go to the city, and we walk around, and we see, you know, the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. And, and on the way back the afternoon, we pass by the Capitol again. And we look, and on the steps of the Capitol is our congressman, a guy named Robert Aderholt. And so he's from Haleyville, the town I live in now. And so he's kind of familiar with, with who we are. And so we uh, yell at him, and he, he looks puzzled, like, Who's, who are these people yelling at me? And so he walks down, and he starts talking to us. And then he invites us to go on a tour of the Capitol. Before that, if I would have tried to get in, like, the security guard probably looked at me and like, who are you? Like, I had no access. But now when the security guard looked at us, our response would be, I'm with him. And we point to the congressman. Right? And so we go on a tour. He even took us to parts of the Capitol they don't normally take people into. We heard one of his interns say, like, we're not supposed to take people down here, but he's the boss. Right? We were with him. And so it is with us as Christians. In the same way that we were wanting access to the capital, say, I'm with him, we get access to God by saying, I'm with him, and we point to Jesus. And now we have full access. And he is present with us now. And so when God calls you to do something, know that he is with you. And while we may be inadequate, God is fully adequate. In this story, it doesn't matter who Moses was. It only mattered who God was. In the same way, it doesn't matter who you are. It only matters who God is. So look at a second excuse. Verse 13 says, Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm able to be remembered in every generation. So Moses hears God say all this, and so his next question was this. is, All right, God, I hear you. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that you're with me, but what should I say? 
What am I supposed to say? He knew that God wanted him to deliver the people, but he was still unsure exactly how this was going to happen. He didn't know what to do. He didn't think he had the capability. He didn't think he had the power. So his second excuse was this, I am incapable. Do you ever feel like that? Okay, God, I know what you're calling me to do. Where do I start? How am I going to do this? There's a lady named Mother Teresa. Many of you are familiar with her, but she was a, a nun who devoted her lives to ministering to people in the slums of India. And she wrote that she once believed God spoke to her. And God told her this. He said, I want Indian nuns who would be my fire of love amongst the unfortunate. You are the most incapable person, weak and sinful, but just because you are that, I want to use you for my glory. Hear that? The most incapable person. But because of that, not in spite of that, God wanted to use her. And God's answer to Moses is to say, okay, I know you feel incapable, but tell the people that I am has sent me to you. What we see in this text is God is introducing himself with his personal name. You see, I'm a guy named John Lamarck, right? That's my personal name. I don't even have nicknames that I, that I know of. But names back then describe someone's character, right? If I say I am, there's going to be something that follows that, right? I am a youth minister. I am a son. I am an uncle, right? I have to fill in the blank there. But this is a circular argument by God. He's making a point with it. He doesn't say, I am this. He says, I am who I am. I have been who I've always been. I am who I am. I'm not shaped by others. I will be who I will be. I am what matters. God is. He is central. He has no beginning. He causes everything to be. He is God. He is past. He is the future. The Israelites would have known this. They would have heard his name and known. And God is telling Moses that he knows everything. Moses doesn't know what to do, but God does. He knows. The I am is outside of time. He will be what he will be. He is there. He knows. And the reason he's able to tell Moses this is what's going to happen is not because he has some vague view of the future, sort of hoping everything turns out his way. No, he knows. He's already there. This will happen. I am who I am. We can be confident in the promises of God. God doesn't try to give Moses a higher self-esteem here. No, God gives him what he needs most, a picture of God. And so when we aren't sure if we can... Remember that God is. Do you feel incapable? Well, good, because you are. We are all incapable. We're all ill-equipped. But God is everything we aren't, and he will equip us. The next excuse is found in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Look with me. It says, Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, God said. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Probably would have run from it too. 
Right. The Lord told Moses, stretch, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, God continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, God said. So Moses put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you, and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs, or listen to what you say, take some water from the now, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the now will become blood on the ground. All right, so we see that God tells Moses, hey, you're it. You're the plan. And Moses is unsure. He doesn't think he can do it. And so God's reassuring him, reassuring him. And so finally Moses says, hey, like, I hear you, God. Like, I, I, I believe some of these things, but I just don't think that I'll be effective. He lacks confidence. He lacks trust. So he asks God, what if they don't believe me? What if I'm not able to do what you said? What if I can't do it? I won't be effective. Moses' third excuse was, I will be ineffective. To be honest, years ago, this was probably my, my number one excuse for, for not wanting to go into the ministry. Like, I just think I, I won't be effective at it. Do you ever think the same thing about what God calls you to do? Do you ever think if, if I try to do what you said, God, it won't have the right results. I'll just mess it up. Well, God hears Moses, and he's gracious to Moses, and he provides Moses with three signs to answer his doubts. Did y'all pick up on that? The first sign was this. It was Moses was told to throw his staff on the ground. And when he throws his staff on the ground, what did it become? It became a snake. Years ago, uh, some of you might remember this story. Uh, when I first moved to Haleyville, my first weekend there, the students invited me to go snake hunting with them. And so in my mind, like, I hate snakes, but you know, I want to relate to them. Like, this might be a redneck thing to do, but I'm, I'm going to go do it. And so uh, in my mind, I'm picturing, like, we're going to go into the woods, and we're going to have, like, a gun, maybe like a, a shotgun or something. And when we see a snake, we're just going to shoot it. And I like shooting guns, so this will be fun, right? And so that's, that's not what they do. What we did was we waited until it was dark, and then we drove into the Bankhead National Forest, and whenever we would see a snake on the ground, the kids would jump out of the cars, and they would take a shovel or a hoe stick, and they would just beat the snake until it was dead. And then they would pick up the, the snake by its tail, and then they would take pictures for their Instagram, right? They're, they'd pick it up by its tail, and this is what God told Moses to do. Hey, pick up the snake by its tail. Now, it might seem strange, but it's significant. Because on the crown that Pharaoh would wear, there was a cobra. And the cobra in that day was a sign of Egyptian power, of sovereign rule. When Pharaoh would put this crown on his head, the Egyptians believed that he would be a god. And so God says, hey, let me show you what I think of that snake. Grab it by the tail. What's being communicated here is that the snake has no real power at all. God has power over authority. The second sign was this, was Moses was then told to put his hand inside his robe. And when he pulled it out, what was on his hand? Leprosy. When he put it back in his robe, he pulled it out, what happened? The leprosy was healed. This is significant as well, because leprosy in this period of human 
history is the greatest evil of humankind. They had no answers for leprosy. And what we find in some ancient writing is that Egypt has thrown some of its wealth, some of its brightest minds, on being able to conquer this highly contagious disease that was kind of ravaging the ancient world with, with no avail. And so God says, hey, you know what Egypt has been unable to do? With all of their wisdom, with all of their gold, with all of their resources, do you know what they've been unable to do? Well, guess what? And what Egypt could not do, the Lord did in seconds. And he's showing Moses, hey, I have authority and power over sickness and death. And he gives Moses one more sign. The third sign was Moses was told to get water out of the Nile River. It was told to pour it on the ground. And when it hit the dirt, what did it become? Blood. You see, almost all of the power of Egypt was built around the Nile River. They called the Nile the father of life. And God has shown here that he has power over all nature. And so through these three signs, although Moses felt ineffective, God is showing that he can do anything through anyone. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he works through anyone. God needs no air, no sleep, no food. He doesn't need us. And when we try on our own power, we might come up short. But God is all-powerful. He will make us effective through his power. Let's look at the fourth excuse. It's found in verse 10. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. And the Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Here, Moses doesn't think he's the right person, that he's not competent. His fourth excuse was, I'm incompetent. So he brings up this problem of his, his lack of speaking ability. He tells God that he can't be used because of the way he talks. And we aren't sure exactly why Moses can't speak well. Some think because he gets nervous in front of crowds. Some think it could be an education issue. He's not smart enough. Some think it could be a verbal issue that he has an impediment. Whatever it was, Moses didn't think he was the right person because of it. He didn't think he had the skills, the talent, the intellect to get the job done. Last summer, we took a group of students to Atlanta to a Braves game, and on the way there, literally, we were, we were a mile and a half away from the stadium, and our, our bus broke down. And I'm no mechanic, right? I don't know anything about cars, so I remember just getting on the side of the interstate and just standing there and looking at our church bus, and it was kind of smoking and thinking, like, I have no clue what to do. Like, where do I go from here? What do I do? You ever feel like that? I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough don't have that skill set. This was Moses. How does God respond? He asked Moses, who do you think made you? Do you think that I don't know about your perceived weaknesses? This is irrelevant. God has wired, God has designed us just as he saw fit. And God tells Moses that he will help him to speak and tell him what to say. Is, is, is God's omnipotence that matters? Not our incompetence. So what's your perceived weakness? 
What are you using as an excuse? God doesn't make mistakes. Let's look at the fifth and final excuse. Verse 13, Moses says, Please, Lord, send someone else. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. So the final excuse of Moses was not so much as an excuse as it was Moses' desperate plea to pass the responsibility to someone else. He was out of excuses. Every one of his doubts had been answered, and now he basically says, Here am I, God. Send someone else. I don't want to do it. Basically saying, oh, sovereign, oh, master, oh, Lord, oh, powerful one, you can do whatever you want. You can accomplish anything you will. There's nothing you can't overcome. You're almighty. You're all-knowing. You can do it all. But I don't want to do it. Send someone else. So how do we see God respond? The Bible says that God responds with anger. God says, you got my name right, it would be great if what you believed about my name and how you actually lived and how you actually trusted were one. You see, Moses knew who God was. He just didn't trust him. How many of us does that describe? We know who God is, but we don't trust him. And we can tell you many things about God. We know our Bible, we got this religious thing down, But we don't really have faith in him. You see, God is gracious to Moses. And God sends him help through a God named Aaron. And Aaron would speak for him. Aaron would be an encouragement to him. Aaron would be there with him. And the cool thing is, is if you keep reading your Bible, you'll see that eventually Aaron stops speaking for Moses. Moses does it all by himself. All he needed was support. And God provides us with that same support today. He provides it with the church. In fact, God loves the church. The Bible says that Jesus died for the church. So my question for you this morning is, is do you have the same love for the church that Jesus does? What does your involvement say? What does your service say? What does your attendance say? What does your wallet say? Does it say, I love the church? Does it say, I don't want to do it, Lord? Let's end with a challenge. Look with me in verse 27. It says, Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go and meet Moses in the wilderness. And so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and about all the signs he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them, that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshipped. So Moses obeys God. And he goes to Egypt. He does everything that God commanded him to do. And everything happens, just like God said it would. We see that God was faithful. So my question for you this morning is this. Is what happens when the Lord tells you, hey, take this step. It's risky. It's dangerous. Does it make sense? But I want you to do it. I want you now to be obedient to what I've commanded you. And when that happens, you usually get nervous. 
And so we tend to justify our, our disobedience, exactly what Moses did. But God tells us, hey, I am able. You're right. You're a terrible speaker. I can't listen to you, but I'll flow through you. I'm able. I'll be the power. You think I need your skill set? It's my power that accomplishes my will, not your power. Your role is obedience through faith, and then I'll work through you. Church, God is working a plan, and that plan will almost play out differently than what you think. And I believe you have to make the decision. Is he Lord of your life? So many Christians I know really want the power of God in their lives, but they don't really want to be obedient to get it. Right, God stands in front of them, and God stands in front of us, and he says, grab the snake. And we rationalize, well, you know, God, if I, if I grab the tail, I'm going to get bitten. But why don't you reach out and grab it and see what happens? And God says, hey, put your hand in your pocket. And you say, well, if I put my hand in my pocket, I'm going to get leprosy, and then it's the end of the road. Why don't you put your hand in your pocket and see what God can do? He says, pour the water. You say, I'm, I'm looking at the water, and, and it's just water. And he says, right, you have to pour it, and then it becomes blood as it hits the ground. You have to have faith. We looked at the beginning, that quote by Pascal, and he said it's a strange disorder to focus on temporary and worldly. Well, he goes on in that same passage to say this, that there are only two classes of people who can be called reasonable. Those who serve God with all their heart because they know him, and those who seek him with all their heart because they do not know him. What he's saying is reasonable people pursue holiness with every thought, every action, and every word. Reasonable people come to those called in distraction, lost in diversion, and they serve, love, and persuade. Reasonable people risk reputation, they risk rep comfort, willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. Reasonable people bring eternity into everyday conversations with their friends, with cashiers, with their neighbors, with their family. Boldly and patiently, courageously and graciously, they say, Hey, see your sin. See the gospel. Seek God with all of your heart. I'll be honest, too often I prefer social decorum to, to holy discomfort, this, this worldly niceness to, to next worldly boldness. And God is not telling us everything what, that our future holds. But he does ask him to obey, to trust him, and do what he wants us to do. So many of us are just like Moses, and we say, who am I? But it doesn't matter who we are. It only matters who God is. Pray with me. But God, you have a plan for our days, for our years, for our lives. God, so often we fight against that. God, we, we know what you want us to do, but we're, we're scared to do it. Or we're not bold enough to do it. God, I, I ask this morning that you can just make clear what, what you have for us, whether it's this afternoon with our family member or whether it's sometime this week or later on. God, I, I ask that you give us this desire to do it, God that we can obey your call for our lives, that we can risk everything to accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Would you guys stand and worship?
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our prayer that it's been helpful in this part of your life journey. We invite you to join us at Kusada Sunday mornings for worship. Visit our website at kusadabaptist.org for directions and more information about our church.